will you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give thanks for your spirit that saturates our world. And we pray that through that spirit, we might hear your word for us today. Amen. Mark 1, 21 through 28. Jesus and his followers went into Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and started teaching. Yes, and this is what you should do. Love your neighbor. The people were amazed by his teaching, for he was teaching them with authority, not like the legal experts. Suddenly, there in the synagogue, a person with an evil spirit screamed, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One from God. Silence, Jesus said, speaking harshly to the demon. Come out of him. The unclean spirit shook him and screamed. Then it came out. Everyone was shaken and questioned among themselves. Who is this? A new teaching with authority. He even commands unclean spirits and they obey him. Right away, the news about him spread through the entire region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Well, here we are. Mark chapter 1. In 20 quick verses, Jesus has been introduced by John the Baptist. Jesus has been baptized. Jesus has gathered disciples. And now it's time to get to work. So, what's the first thing Jesus does? He goes to the local synagogue, where a man with an evil spirit identifies him as the Holy One of God. So, Jesus casts out the spirit and everyone is amazed except for the pastors who have to preach on this passage. We're a little bit more of a mixed bag. In part because most congregations are filled with people who have very different beliefs about miracles. And it never feels good to disappoint a bunch of people you care about because you picked the wrong side. Particularly when none of the sides seem that appealing in the first place. Today's passage is a great example. There are two common interpretations of this story. The first takes it very literally, explaining that there are spiritual forces of good and evil at work in the world. And these forces can't be seen, but they're real, and they can actually possess a person. And, and this interpretation has a lot of value in the way that it reminds us that evil is a real force in our world. Because any understanding of a world that fails to account for evil can't adequately resist or stand up to injustice and oppression. But this interpretation is also dangerous because these evil forces are unseen. And who gets to decide 
when someone's possessed by an evil spirit. Do we claim that for ourselves? Do I look back at the hurtful things I've done and think the devil made me do it? Because that feels like denying accountability and just separating myself from my actions. But I'm not sure if it's better to have others determine when someone is controlled by an evil spirit. I mean, because we've seen it. We've seen Christians claim that homosexuality is the result of a demonic spirit. We've seen how this false claim dehumanizes queer folks. We know the danger that results from labeling someone else as demonic. And, and I'm not actually trying to say that Jesus did not encounter a demonic spirit. I don't know. But I will say that when it comes to how this plays out today, this interpretation makes me a little nervous. And if it makes you nervous too, you might prefer the other sort of popular interpretation that evil spirits were how the society understood mental illness. That's a decent explanation for how a pre-modern society would explain why a seemingly healthy person acted as if they were controlled by some entity outside themselves. And I like this interpretation because it it introduces Jesus as the one who offers healing to our bodies, to our brain chemistry, and to our emotional life. But it too makes me nervous. I mean, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't like labeling someone's mental illness as evil and telling them that Jesus can make their mental illness completely disappear just like he did in the story. With mental illness, healing often comes as we find life in the midst of illness, not by casting it out and never having to deal with it again. I mean, and I actually, I faced this in a really real, real way. Like before I was preaching a decade ago as a as a chaplain intern in a psychiatric hospital. I was doing an intake with a patient who told me they had attempted suicide because the devil made them do it. And, and I, they had, they'd heard this, this crystal clear voice telling them about the horrible things that would happen to their loved ones if, if they didn't die by suicide. And, and I sat there thinking, Bible tells me to cast this demon out. But what I know is that this is no demon. This beautiful soul isn't filled with evil. They're sick. They have major depression with psychotic features. And what they need is medication and treatment to help them live a life where they can manage their illness. So, basically, I don't want to treat chronic illness like an evil spirit that needs to be cast out, which makes that, that second interpretation tough. 
And the first one, well, I believe the, the love of God has the power to defeat evil. But the evil I see in the world is complex and systemic, so it feels dangerous, like a dangerous distraction to focus on rebuking individuals who we believe to be controlled by that evil. Another way of saying that, and I guess probably summarizing most of what I've said so far, is that, that either of those interpretations could accurately describe what Jesus did that day. But both of them leave me wondering what to do with the scripture this day. And here's where I'll admit to getting just a little bit creative. Our translation says that Jesus cast out evil spirits. They, they chose that translation because it accurately describes the destructive nature of these spirits on people's lives and how Jesus confronts these spirits like an enemy. However, the Bible, in, in Mark chapter 1, the Bible doesn't call the spirit evil. The Bible calls the spirit unclean. And the, the primary definition of this Greek word, unclean, describes those things forbidden by Levitical law. Things like breaking Sabbath, sitting too close to a woman, eating bacon cheeseburgers. Do these things and you will be unclean. And, actually, anyone who touches you will become unclean. And then they, too, will have to go undergo the same ritual cleansing before going to the temple and re-entering society. Now, now, if you've been to Urban Grace on a Sunday morning, you probably know we pride ourselves on the fact that it doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter what you smell like. Doesn't matter how clean you are. It would seem that we've gotten over this particular custom. At least when it comes to what's on the outside. When it comes to what's going on inside us, that might be a little different. We might have things going on inside us that that make us feel the opposite of clean and holy. Things that have happened to us, mistakes we've made, or beliefs about who we are down deep. Things that fill us with shame. It, it may even be a voice inside of us, like some sort of evil spirit, telling us that if anyone found out about the darkest corners of our lives, they'd stop loving us. That voice that tells us, if anyone knew how angry I am or how scared, if anyone knew how much I drink or think about sex or desire money, if anyone knew how rarely I pray or that I don't feel like I can pray, if anyone knew how deeply I'm doubting, or what a failure I feel like. If anyone knew, 
That voice tells us to keep quiet. So our deepest shame lives deep inside of us, like an unclean spirit afraid to cry out. And it's here in our struggle to feel whole and worthy and loved that our story brings good news for today. For when the man with an unclean spirit encounters the Holy One of God, the spirit screams out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And Jesus silences the spirit. He casts it out of the man. For the Holy One of God will allow him to be tortured no longer. And it all happens so fast. I mean, just actually like everything in the Gospel of Mark. But for us, it might take a little bit longer to exercise the demons that have undue influence in our lives. Because spiritual growth is rarely linear. It feels more cyclical, haphazardly spiraling, yet somehow progressing towards a more authentic and loving self. So our story probably won't look quite like the story of Jesus in Mark 1. But that doesn't mean we're, we're doing it wrong. The opening chapter of the Gospels function less like instruction manuals on healing and more like introductions to Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. So Mark introduces us to the Messiah who sees all of who we are and responds with love. The Messiah who sees no corner of our life too dark, no shame too deep, no story too harrowing. The Messiah who sees a person crying out to be freed from the demons that control his life and poison his world. And Jesus wastes no time. He shows us who he truly is, the Holy One of God who comes to save. Thanks be to God. Amen.